1: repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com
0: today. You can do this when you Angie that.
1: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
0: I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. And we are the hosts of A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica, a weekly podcast all about discovery and enthusiasm. Well, that's how we describe it, but someone else described it even better, I think, as a unique mix of urgent discussions of non-urgent things and thoughtful conversations of important and otherwise ignored things. If you want to check it out and see what it's all about, check back every Monday when we drop new episodes. I think you'll like it. It's a great Monday morning ritual.
1: A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, welcome back, everyone. This is my second attempt at a virtual recording, and I'm really excited because today is actually all about the fact that we are in quarantine. We need this time at home, but we're also shifting who we are, what we're doing. There's so much pressure, especially on women right now, to kind of do it all, be it all. And so we're going to have a conversation about how we can do that with maybe some little extra questions and learnings along the
1: way. So please welcome Lisa Collum. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. So your story is like, we just got to dive in there because when I first was looking at you as a good guest, there were things I really loved about expertise that you would kind of bring to the table, but your story in and of itself is so incredible because I find a lot of times what happens when we talk about, you know, motivating women to get into business, into entrepreneurship, it's all of this mindset of, if you just believe it, you can do it. And it really rips apart this idea of privilege of having the money to start that up. What I love about your story is you started with $100. So walk us through, take your time, how this came to be, what it is that you do, and then let's dive into how we can have some takeaways from this today as well.
1: Awesome, yeah. So my whole story, I mean, starts like fifteen years ago, and I wanted to be a teacher my whole life. Like you could ask anyone. From the time I was like four years old, I had a chalkboard in my room, and I was like, "I'm going to be a teacher." So right out of college, got my first teaching position, was super excited. And my principal said, "You're in charge of writing." So I'm like, "Okay, this is great. Give me, you know, the curriculum book, something, you know, as a teacher, you know, you get your resources and you can teach from there." Right. And she said, um, "There's nothing for writing." We've got reading, math, science, but there's, there's nothing for writing. There's a lot of little like resources, like a book on grammar, a book on paragraphs, but nothing as a whole, like every other subject. So I was at a really low-performing school with a tough crowd. And so I thought it was like the end of the world. I was crying. I was like, I'm, this is my first year. I'm so excited. And my principal said, just pull from what you know and do what you do best. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to the way I learned how to write mm. and go back to basics. I kept thinking that every time I talked to a kid about writing, they would say, it's hard.
0: Yeah. I don't
1: like it. It's not yeah. my favorite. And so I thought there's got to be an easier way. So I just took that approach. And I literally broke down every part of an essay, like every sentence I broke down. Oh, that word essay just makes me go back. I don't like it. Right, exactly. I didn't want to say we're writing an essay today. So I started with, we're going to plan out our thoughts today. Mm. And then we're going to plan out the first sentence, the hook today. And then we're going to plan out our closing statement. And I did that throughout the whole thing. And after like four weeks, they had a whole essay. And they're like, oh my goodness, I did it. And so it became, I thought, wow, this is working. We're doing lots of rep. Competition and practice. So I did that. My kids did really well. They went from like 38% to 95% of the Whoa. rate in which passing. And then they did the, for two years to follow, 100% of them were able to pass the test. Oh my God. So here gosh. I am. At this school that's struggling, they're an F school, they're low performing students getting 100%. So of course, what happens, the State Department of Education investigates me wanting to know how these kids are doing so well. And I didn't have anything written down. I was just kind of going off what I knew best, what was working. And I ended up sharing my ways with a bunch of teachers. I became like a writing specialist in my district. So I was working with a bunch of schools, still didn't write anything down. About eight years into it, I had my third son and I took a job teaching online. And it was that moment that everyone started calling and saying, where'd you go? We need you. You used to give us that stuff. We don't have it. And I was like, oh, I left. I took a job online. And they're like, well, do you think you could like write it down and we'll buy it? And I was like, oh no, no, I don't even, (laughs) yeah, no, I'm not business. And they're like, no, 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 just write it down and we'll do a purchase order. I'm like, what? And so I literally, I'm not kidding, Googled, how do you start a business in Florida? (laughs) And they brought me to this website and I like went step by, I debated all night about a name. I ended up coming up with top score writing. And I remember going, okay, I have a business. And then I like went to the IRS website and got my tax ID number. And then they started buying. And at first I was like, oh, this is nice. I had extra money. We went Mm -hmm. to Disney World. And then school district started to find out. And then I found myself and here I am, not the business person. And I remember when I first started it, I had to go to the bank and I'm like, you know, what should I do? I started a Mm -hmm. business Mm -hmm. and they're like, open a business account. And I'm like, okay. You know, I didn't know. And so I said, well, I have a hundred dollars. I'm going to put it in there. And so I just, I started with the hundred and then I would print like one or two books, sell them and then get $250. And then I'd put that in there and then I'd print another one or two. So I just, it was never like I was printing hundred copies at a time. I've never taken out a loan or anything. I've always kind of done it as I've made the money. And then it just grew. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. So now it's a nationwide curriculum company, trying to keep spreading and spreading the word just to help teachers and students.
0: I love this. And I love, I love so much about that story. And I think where I relate to it the most is when you're like, I went to a bank and was like, how do I do this? Because I think that that's the problem is everyone, when we see women in business, especially we assume that they figured it out somehow, that somebody told them what to do, that they found the information. And the fact is most of us, like for me, when I started and I actually registered my business, I realized that I actually had unfortunately done it too late. I had done a lot of steps too late and I owed so much more in taxes because of it and i just wish there'd been somebody who's kind of like hey like these are your first steps but that's what kind of happens with the businesses you're not actually considered a lot of business until you hit a certain mark and like in canada it's around like the $30,000 range once you hit 30,000 then you start going from like sole proprietorship to whatever you kind of feel like a fish out of water. And I think that's what makes it so intimidating because you're just like, I don't know anything about business. How am I supposed to go through it? And I, I love that you just shared that whole thing was like, I didn't know what I was doing. And I was using the money off of that one sale to do the next thing and and kind of going from there. And I also love that you really touch on the amount of, I'm just going to call it out as imposter syndrome that you had during that. Like, what am I, I don't know. Okay, these people are asking this of me. Did you really struggle with that in the early days?
1: I mean, I want to say I'm in my ninth year and probably two years ago, I finally just accepted that I have a business and you I'm very successful because I kept thinking, okay, they're buying stuff, but I, I wouldn't, I mean, people knew I had the company, but I didn't go around. I was never like, I'm the CEO of TopScore right. Writing. I'm the, I just started saying author and CEO like two years yeah. ago. I just yeah. felt, I always say, I wish if I could change anything that I had more confidence, but I feel mm-hmm. like I was trying to prove myself yeah. for like seven years straight. And I'd always be like, well, I kind of wrote these lessons down. And now I'm like, no, I wrote like 40 books. Like, yes. I, like I, have, I wrote books, but I didn't I say that. that you know? yeah. And so it just, that was hard for me to accept that I was an entrepreneur, a business person. And a successful
0: one. I think that for a lot of women, it's funny, it's interesting the dynamics between men and women, because men are often like, this is the money I made. Like, this is my title. This is that. And women are like, how do I be more palatable? How do I dim this down to like the most acceptable thing for other people. And I've watched a good friend of mine. She just started calling herself. She went from calling herself chief expert to like actually owning the CEO title. And when she said it, I was like, but man, to know her, she's so like, that's what she is. She's the CEO of this big company. It baffled me that she couldn't own that title for so long. But then I think it's because for women, there is like this little bit of a I don't know what it is, but there's a guilt in being successful. And I think for, I don't know what it is or where it comes from, but there's a lot of it. And I think it's maybe because so many have empathy and understand that it's not so easy for everyone, or there's that apologetic sense of being successful and making money or having money. It's such a weird, common thing that happens for so many women. And I think it really holds them back from taking the next steps in their business and really like owning that title so that they can help others own theirs. So- I kind of love that you said that.
1: And I can't agree with you more. And I think it's become almost like the second mission for me to share my story because I never did until like a year or two ago, because I finally accepted it. And I realized I would talk with people and they're like, wow, I just didn't think you could have four kids and you could run Mm -hmm. a business. And, And I'm like, you can. And, yeah. and I'm married and, and I make more than my husband and that's okay. And you know, it's not like, I think forever too, I was just exactly what you said. It was almost like I have four kids. I'm mom. I don't want people to think that I'm running these businesses and not paying attention to my kids. Yeah. And now I'm out to like share my story. Like, no, I'm balancing it. I'm doing both. I'm a good mom and I run businesses and you can do it all.
0: You can do it all. And I read a really interesting article. And it talked about this woman who was a politician and also a mother. And people were just like, oh, like she's able to do it. And we're like, we would never speak of a male politician that way. We love a man who is a hobbyist parent, but we don't really allow women to have careers. And also like, it's, it's a weird societal thing that happens and one of my favorite things there's this show called Explained on Netflix and it talks about the pay gap between men and women and the fact that it's not actually between men and women it's between men and mothers because men if they put family pictures up in their office it's like shown that they're a provider and that they're really stable and that they're really great workers and all of this stuff it's like a family balance thing it makes them like more admired in the workplace mm-hmm. But a woman will likely take down her photos of her children, take down like that idea that she is also a mother because it's shown as weakness and as like something that they'd have to compromise between because there isn't really equality between men and women yet when it comes to parenting and working. And that kind of leads me into where we are now. So now we are so many of us working at home and the dynamic of also having our kids at home. How's that been for you?
1: Well, I think this whole situation's obviously just crazy, yeah. you know. Education's my passion, and I did forget to mention because I'm going to bring in tips on this too. Yeah. After having Top Score for a few years, I also ended up buying a school, which is my nonprofit. Yeah, so I it's saw a that. Small private my gosh. School. And the reason I bring that up is because. I had to look at this situation as an educator, a parent, but a school principal. Mm. And my school is specifically for kids that are struggling in normal school. They may have dropped out, failed, anxiety, bullied, whatever the issue is that's not working in school, they come to me. And Mm. I have a small environment. I've got 40 kids. We put a small amount of kids in the classroom. My teachers were very on top of everything. Mm -hmm. And people always say, you know, why don't you expand? And I always say, I won't be able to stay on top of every kid's story if I expand. I need to constantly know, you came here for this reason, let me check on you, make sure things are Mm -hmm. going okay, you know. I keep reminding everybody that this is not normal. So we cannot Mm -hmm. be expected to work our full-time jobs perfectly and our kids do school perfectly all day long. It's not going (laughs) to happen. We just need to accept that. Yeah. I try to post all this about this on social media as well because I want parents to know if you're having a bad day or the internet's not working or the link for the thing you can't hear, turn it off, take a break, come back to it later or tomorrow because the worst Mm -hmm. thing we can do as parents, which I've caught myself doing this, is we get frustrated, we take it out on the kids, they hear that and they're not showing their stress and anxiety but I promise you this is the unknown. So there mm-hmm. they have it. And I think mm-hmm. that we just need to keep remembering we can't expect this to be a perfect situation for any of us. So for me, it's just, of course, I've got all the little tips and tricks because I've been doing education, but I've also had to be flexible myself and understand yeah. that I had this one set way and it didn't work at first. So I've adjusted yeah. and I have four kids. So I've got one that sleeps till 10, 11 every day. And that's yeah. fine with me. My 14 yeah. year old, I don't care. You want to do your yeah. work at 3 p.m. So I think we just need to know it's not going to be perfect it's okay and just be flexible with our kids. I love that you said that because
0: I've got two girls and a boy. My girls are very self-regulating. They've got their school assignments are much more easy for them to take on. They understand what's going on. They watch their videos, they do their assignments. I really haven't had to do much. But then there's my son who was just diagnosed about a year and a half ago with a memory disability, which leads into a learning disability, which has all to do with reading and writing. So at school, he has devices. He has a lot of things that help him. We have now those things at home, but I'm not an equipped person to be teaching somebody with a learning disability. And nor do I have the ability to give him all that focus. So we've had to really like, and I'll I'll never forget it. One of the first days when I was just trying to be both really well, like I was doing 12 hour days on my own days so that I could give him all the focus on my days with them. Cause I share custody. So I was just giving him all the focus. And I remember being like, okay, all you need to do is write down what we did yesterday. That's all you have to do. Just write down what we did yesterday, write down the sentence. And his eyes just well up with tears. And he's like, I don't even remember. I don't even remember yesterday. And I was just like, oh my gosh, bud. Like, I'm, like you just don't even realize what pressure they're holding until you say one simple thing and they start to crack. And after that, I was, like we need to take an entirely new approach to this. I need to be looking at the work first before I'm just like pushing it on him because we're trying to get a deadline in his teachers and his school have been phenomenal. Like, so not creating more anxiety around it, but I mean, it's been a hard time. And I feel like we're two months in and we're just starting to get to the point where we even have a, like a snippet of a routine or any kind of structure But that's kind of one of the things I really wanted to ask you about is how have you found and what's your best tips for creating a good routine and structure at home, especially in the environment that we're in right now?
1: And I think that's the most important thing. And I I keep reminding parents, When they were in school, they had a set schedule. You can ask Mm -hmm. any of your kids; they know the exact time their reading block was or their math. Like my kids, like it was ten oh five to ten fifty nine. You know, like on the minute, and they know what time lunch was and recess because they were trained on that. That's what we do in school. So true. Spend the first two weeks. So here they are, all year long. They've had this set schedule. It's posted up in the classroom. They can look up. They know exactly what's going to happen. There's no ifs ands buts about Mm it. Now we've pulled them out of that, and now we have no schedule at home, at least in the Mm -hmm. beginning. Mm -hmm. They're never going to say, mommy, I need a schedule. They do though. Like, they, yeah. it's just something about that knowing what's coming, knowing what's next, knowing my exact times, knowing when the breaks are, knowing when lunch is, it just calms everything. And so the first thing I always say is create a schedule and post it and do it together. Like yeah. for me, I have different schedules because like I said, I have one kid that doesn't wake up till mm-hmm. later and that's fine. But my other kid, the one that when we first started, he was on the computer in here, he wakes up at seven o'clock every morning and he is ready to go on school. So for him, his schedule is different. And I've learned that when we were creating his schedule, he likes breaks after every subject. Mm -hmm. So he literally is like from seven to probably three because he's doing reading, then taking like a 45 minute break and then Mm -hmm. math and then taking a break. My other kids just like to go through it and get it done. They're done by noon. So I think when you're... Looking at your schedule with your kid, I would talk to them, especially if they're older. Yeah. Try to figure out what they like, because this is also an opportunity for us as parents to figure out, oh, look, they're doing better when we take a break between reading and math. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, look, they're doing better when we go outside to do science or whatever. Now Mm -hmm. you can play with things. But think about the whole day. And I said this the other day to a mom I was talking to. Even if you get school done by one or two, they don't go to bed till nine or ten. Mm-hmm. So to a kid having no schedule even from two to ten, of course in their mind at first, like this is awesome, but kids need routine. Yeah, they need so it. I even suggest like an after school schedule. So I have mm-hmm. like I have chore time built in from like two to three. From three to four, they have free play, four to five, workout exercise. My boys are really into basketball. Five to six, I always set up like a Zoom with their friends. I talk to the other Aww. moms. Because I kids need this social interaction. Yeah, they interaction. do. And my 14-year-old's like, that's not cool. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. <laughs>
0: doesn't matter. Yeah. It, and I think that's why it's so true yeah. what you're saying, like kids haven't even learned to like express their needs for mental health or stability. And their whole lives have been shaken. Like my daughter just the other day, she's very open about her mental health struggles and she's in therapy, but obviously not right now. And she's uncomfortable doing the Zoom therapy. So we haven't been doing that, but she was like, yeah, it's been tough lately. Like she's like, I miss my friends. Like I think when it hit us, that they weren't going back to school this year and she's missing yeah. her grade eight graduation. Like you can see that they're trying to hold it all together because they see the parents also trying to hold it all together. And kids kind of do that. Like I went through a divorce before. I watched my kids try and hold it all together. I know what that's like, but I also like listening to you say this, I think it's been really important even for me to hear to kind of allow them the voice in that routine and in that schedule and let it be customized to them, but without it being like, just have a free-for-all because I think what I'm realizing now is I've kind of been doing a bit of a free-for-all and just like whenever we get it in, we get it in because we're all scrambling, but they need that. It is going to create that form of stability. And do you know, like, For a lot of parents, I know they've just been, and I don't blame them, they've just been like, you know what, we're done. It's summer vacation until school starts again. But I know, especially with a son that does have a learning disability, how hard it is for them to step back into learning. Do you know anything about if they do take a break from learning, will it actually set them back or will it just kind of set them on the same course?
1: Here's the thing. We're lucky this happened April, May, because Mm -hmm. in all honesty, most schools, depending on wherever you are, there's lots of testing going on April and May. There's lots of field trips, end of year pep yeah. rally. So we yeah. have to remember, this is not truly eight weeks of all day learning. We had a lot of days already planned that weren't going to be. So having True. a day, a week is not going to set anybody back. But I mm-hmm. always remind everyone, and, and I'm just thinking about this about your son, I get it. They have to do stuff their teacher, but also teachers are being super flexible. So we mm-hmm. have to remember that learning is learning, right? We yeah. can just read a book. We can listen to an audiobook. And it may not be the reading assignment our teacher assigned us, but at least if you can get them just to listen to an audiobook and watch the words online, yes. it's reading. It you is. know what I mean? And science, go outside, do anything outside, nature, rocks, leaves, that can be science. Art, we're not implementing a lot of art stuff, but I've set my kids out with painting outside and my kids would probably never just paint. But I left them out there and before I know it everyone's painting. Oh, so I, I think we that. have to remember that there's so many different ways to learn and a lot of people who homeschool like for real during the year mm-hmm. this is the way they approach it. You know, it's not about books and lessons. It's just reading is reading and math can be done on the daily stuff. You can cook and do math. So in thinking specifically about your son as an example mm-hmm. and this happens all with kids at my school, if it's not working what we're doing communicate with the teacher and just say, we're going to take a few days, but I'm still going to have him reading. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do the audio book or I'm going to read with him, you know, because we have to remember their mental health. And just what you were saying, they're not good at expressing it. I don't blame them and their kids. You know, we all struggle, but that's more important right now. And if we miss two, three days, a week, two weeks, it's not going to set us back. If this was December, I may have a little bit of a different opinion on that, but it's the end of the year. I've been doing this for 15 years. It's much more relaxed and laid back.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's really good to hear. Cause I think so many people they're struggling with that parent guilt, right? Like as if that wasn't already part of like the moment that they're born you're just like guilty about everything. But I think especially like I've been struggling so much just with the fact that I'm like, my husband's working from home. I'm working from home, but because I have the flexible job, I'm like trying to do it all and be it all. And just really having to remind myself over and over that, like, If the house goes to crap right now, so be it. Like we've had to really make concessions, but it's also really helped that the kids are starting to understand the structure of a home and how it functions. The fact that we're all together now, I mean, my son is obsessed with making smoothies. Within two days, he realized I can't have my smoothies unless I actually wash out the blender thing. (laughs) And all of a sudden he's making his own smoothies and he's cleaning them. And I'm like, you've never even been here long enough to recognize the needs of a home. And so as much as this has been such a struggle, and I can't emphasize that enough, it's also been such a learning time and a really time of us coming together and figuring some hard stuff out. I mean, we've done two birthdays now. We've tried to stay connected with their friends. You know, my son loves to play certain video games. So he seems to talk to all of his friends, no problem. But we've had to do drive by hangouts with so like just from the car windows with some of their friends, because it's been a lot on them and their mental health is definitely a struggle. Okay. I want to bring it back to the fact that so many kids learn so differently. And in your experience, I you know when I was a kid, I think a lot of, my mom actually told me about this, like maybe a year ago. That when I was in the seventh grade, a teacher looked at her and said that I was, I don't know, even know what words she used to describe me, but that I would never make anything of myself because I was just like low performing in school and I was just not applying myself or whatever. I was too flaky. I talked to too many people, whatever. Mm. But I just learned a different way. I realized that in high school, when I had teachers that were way more visual and less like throwing books at me, like you said, how can we tell how our children learn so that we can kind of start to lean into that a little bit more and encourage them to learn in ways that they actually enjoy it. Same way with like exercise. I always talk about this, but I'm like, if you don't love exercise, then it's just like a torture chamber. Like you have to find that one way that you love it and then do that. Same with like your job. If you don't love what you're doing, you're never going to love what you're doing. You have to apply the same way for kids. We can't assume that they all learn the same, but it's really hard to figure that out. Do you have any tips on how we can kind of navigate how different they all are?
1: Yeah, and that's just it right then and there. I think we all just need to accept and understand as parents, educators, just general human beings, we all learn differently. And Mm -hmm. I always talk about my school as being like my baby, my other baby, because I don't need it. It's my nonprofit. It honestly caused me a lot of stress, time and money, but I do it because... I truly believe that everyone learns differently. And unfortunately, our school districts put kids in kind of a one size fits all box. I'm not blaming them because I get it. Mm -hmm. When you have millions of kids, you have to kind of have a set way. We're taught to differentiate as teachers. But when you put 30 kids in a class, it's very hard to -hmm. teach these five kids this way and these four kids that way. So we try, but it just doesn't work for a lot of kids. And that is like my passion because I get the kids that are so bad and have mm. failed and have dropped out and they're not. It's just, they need more one-on-one. They need a smaller environment. They need things to be broken down. They need more time, things like that. And for me, it's just figuring that out. So I think looking at it from a parent side, thinking about little things like giving your child maybe more time. So Mm -hmm. if you've got two kids, you can kind of compare. That's one thing a lot of kids need is extra time. Some kids need things visualized, right? They Mm -hmm. need to see it. So when you're doing math, I have one of my kids who won't even write out problems. Everything, he's like Rain Man in his head. He just boop, 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 boop. You know, and I have my other one that I have to like draw out everything. So little things like that while you're helping them can help you see, oh, they're more of a visual. They need it broken down. Or I see they need more time with things. Some kids are hands-on.
0: Yeah. I have a
1: lot of kids come in my school who are not good test takers, mm-hmm. but if I let them do a presentation of any sorts, they master it. And so Isn't for me, I, I won't even test them. I don't need a paper and pencil test. If you can explain it to me in a presentation, I know you got it.
0: Oh, that's you know? amazing. And I
1: think that's where we need to kind of think. And unfortunately, teachers, we just have a lot. And I'm not yeah, blaming them because they no. have so much to do. But we may need to, as parents, kind of advocate for our kids and say, I notice at home when he gets more time or when he gets to do it more with building stuff mm-hmm. or hands-on does mm-hmm. better, that may open the eyes to the teacher because kids learn differently. We all work differently. We all, like you said, the working out, it's just the way we're built. And we, we got to stop thinking the one size fits all because there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. if a kid needs a device or needs more time or needs to be pulled out. It's just the way their brain works. And we just have to yeah.
0: And it's really fascinating how we won't see how our kids end up until those days later. But when I think back on my own childhood, I was really good at talking a lot and I was really great at presentations. And I remember at one point I was doing um, one of my first speaking gigs and my grandmother was like, they're giving you a microphone. And I was like, look, every (laughs) report card ever said this was a negative and here we are. Like it ends up loading itself into the best things that our kids potentially can be. If only they're encouraged to be that way and to lean into that uniqueness that is truly them. Just like we kind of have to do for ourselves, right? Which I I really love. And I don't know, I just, I really love the way that you approach teaching and approach kids and especially your focus on those that are considered like tough kids and failing kids. Just like all they need is a little extra care and that, you know, a different lesson style and- I mean, my son, when he went to, he was previously in a French immersion school and had to switch when he got his learning disability, switch into a new school to watch him thrive in a school that was really nourishing kids that had these IEPs, these education plans and walking into a class where there's five other kids with devices. There's been not an ounce of shame that he's had with his learning disability. And I'm so like, if there's one thing I could be really proud of as his mom was the fact that when this all happened, and he got diagnosed. He was like, you know, I've always known that my brain just worked differently. And I was like, See, you yep. get it. And, and it was just like, a, but immediately, as soon as I learned, it was a, a memory disability. I was like, I said to the doctor, I was like, oh, okay. So when he was two, he got hit in the head really badly. Like he walked in front of a swing. What are the chances that this has caused it? And he was right. like, need to let that go. Like, <laughs> right, It's fine. Like even then we kind of do that, but I got to say, he's so creative and so resourceful. We were doing schoolwork a week ago and he was doing something about like the layers of the earth. And I go and I'm I'm like trying to give him some space because he, he needs one-on-one, but he hates it because he's like still kind of like that cool age 10, like, right. I don't need you. So I'm kind of like letting him do it sitting beside me. I've got my laptop, I'm working. I'm just like watching him doing stuff as well. And all of a sudden I'm like reading his answers. And I was like, Bo, you definitely just Googled that and just like copied and pasted it as the answer. And he's like, nothing said anywhere that I couldn't do that. And is the answer not right? And I was like, <laughs> you know what? Dang, submit it. Let's see what happens. Like great job. Like you figured it out. You've cracked the code on adulthood. Right. But it was just like really funny that that's where his head went. It was just like, Hey, how do I figure out this problem? I can Google I, it. I'm going to yep. Google it. <laughs> and I really learned one thing and I would love your input on this, but a lot of times we make fun of the way that people spell a word. Like that's it seems to be like the social media thing where we're like that's the zinger when somebody spells a word wrong or they say you're with like that instead of the apostrophe re they just put your. And now having a son with a learning disability, I realize how much he just spells things out because of how they sound, yes. and not just for how he knows they are to be written. And it's fascinating the fact that like his brain's actually constructing sounds and putting them together and forming sentences that if you read them are completely wrong words, but if you say them, it's like playing mad gab. That's how it was at first until he's gotten better. But it was like playing mad gab. You're just like, oh my gosh, like what is this gibberish? But if you sound it out, it made complete sense. In terms of now seeing adults that maybe never were diagnosed or potentially as they come on social media, what's the importance of leaning away from that like overcorrecting grammar? Like, have you seen that in terms of kids' confidence and overall just being socially conscious about that?
1: Yeah. So two things on that. I have to say me personally. So I own top score writing. Yeah. I am scared to death of making a grammar mistake and I I do it all the time and my husband is like the grammar police yeah nine times out of ten I post something he's like you need to go edit this he's like you put this like the other day I put there with EI instead of Mm -hmm. why because I I was probably doing it on my phone you know whatever yeah I don't overthink it but he's like your top score writing I'm like good point so (laughs) I'm like petrified because I'm in emails it's just I've had a couple teachers and I have thousands of people that use my program but just a couple who will send me a Screenshot of something, and they're like, You spelled this wrong. And I'm like, Oh okay, my gosh, I got it. calm yeah. down. Yeah. But I think for me, I just, as my approach with writing with kids, I always tell teachers, especially if they're like under eighth grade, okay, I don't start picking on that till high school. Really, I think we need to just let them write because mm-hmm. get the thoughts out, get it organized. And the way that I teach writing is so simple. It's just I have them take their thoughts, make it into paragraphs, and I tell them exactly what to do. I don't even mark spelling. I get those thoughts out, and I then what that. I'll start to do is from there. If there are common words like I get kids that spell because wrong, mm-hmm. you know, like ten times or. Different things all start to notice, and then I'll start to make them individualized spelling lists. That's my favorite thing because I hate when we have to just memorize random words. Yeah. But I like when it's their words, they, they're yeah. more accountable for it. So I think we need to let them get their thoughts out on paper, help them organize that, shape that, and then worry about the grammar part of it. And not even, we don't need to overcorrect. No one wants to get their essay back or their paper back and have 20 red circles. I yeah. just be like, nope, I'm done that took me two hours and now you did all that? No.
0: Yeah. And think about how many incredible minds exist in the yes. world that could have written beautiful things, but never did because they had too many red marks on their sheets. I mean, I'm a self-taught writer and I'm not perfect by any means, but I have to be daily proud of the fact that it took really atrocious writing and really bad transition from one to the other. But at the end of the day, it's a writing down of thoughts. So I love that you're kind of taking that same approach with kids because it's empowering them to be at their fullest potential So when they're older, should they be one of those minds that we all need to hear from that's going to write that great book? They won't be held back by the fact that they're a little bit different, that they learn a little bit differently and that, you know, they are an entirely different human being than the rest of us. Like, thank goodness that they are. I love that.
1: Yeah. And that's just the way a lot of them think, like they write phonetically. And yes, we want to help them with that. And as educators, Mm -hmm. we will help change that, but we're never going to get their thoughts out, let them express if we keep holding them back with spelling. Mm -hmm. So let's get it out and then work on those things. And I get a lot of teachers at first are like, what, there's no spelling in your program. And I'm like, not yet. I want them to get it out. I love and that. then also too, what I've noticed just as like another tip for mm-hmm. parents with writing is a lot of people will say, oh, their handwriting's horrible or their spelling's horrible. And at first when kids are just writing to write, it's all mumble jumbo. But when you teach them how to organize it with like an introduction with body paragraphs and conclusion, suddenly the handwriting, the spelling just naturally becomes better because mm. now there's some organization behind it. It's not just You ever seen a kid who writes a paper that's just all together and it's just mush, you know, but when you organize your thoughts, those start to come with it. So I think it's just part of the writing process.
0: Honestly, these are great tips for adults too. Anybody who wants to get in a good Instagram caption, that's what it's all about. Exactly. Well, I do want to end it in a minute, but I just wanted you to touch on something that I thought was really special about you. And that's talk about the 2%, why you are the 2% and what that is and means.
1: So for me, I just learned about this last year and it was basically a statistic that showed that only 2% of women-owned businesses ever meet that $1 million revenue mark. And when I read this, I thought, Oh, I did that. I thought everyone kind of, not everyone, but a lot of people did that. And it kind of took me back because I had already been on this mission to kind of share my story because I wanted women to know you can have kids, you can run a business, mm-hmm. you can do it all. Mm-hmm. Don't feel like you have to choose. And then I heard that and I thought, oh my gosh, like I felt like I even more need to get my story out because that's a low number and I don't get it. And I think that we just need to believe in ourselves and and just stick with our passion and know that we can do really well. We can be good moms. And it's not that we're taking away. For me, I always say, I am teaching my babies right now. I have three boys Mm -hmm. that their wives can be a stay-at-home mom, an entrepreneur, a full-time, part-time, all of that. And they can still be a good mom. And for my girl, who's only three, I'm teaching her that she can do whatever she wants and still be a good mom. So for me, although... My kids have seen me work a lot and travel a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a learning experience for us all. So I think that I'm just on this mission to change that percent. I want to help as many people as I can. And that's a whole nother side mission for me, but it just struck but me it's as, an Whoa.
0: important one. And I, I think it really does come down to like that freedom to choose and removing the shame of what it is to be a mother now and the fact that we fought so hard for so much equality. And if we really believe it, we have to like allow that for each other. If there is a woman who is a stay-at-home mom, that she deserves the respect for what she does just as much as somebody who's on the road half the year, because men have done it for how long and they can be incredible fathers and women can be incredible mothers and do it all as well. And who knows, maybe just make the 2% by doing something that you were already inherently really good at and meeting a need that was definitely there. That's so it. that's amazing. Well, let us know where can we find you? And now that we've listened to this, maybe we want to dive into more about who you are and what you do. Where can we find you on yep. the webs?
1: On the web. So my mm-hmm. website for my personal brand, which goes over all my businesses is www.lisacollum.com. Okay. And then on all my social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it's Lisa Colum CEO.
0: Oh, I love that you did that. Yeah. Good job. Own that title, girl. Well, thank you so I, I much.
1: A, I did change that after a while because I finally owned up to it. You have to. That's
0: that's. It's really important. It's one thing that is such a repeat. And, and how many different women and CEOs that I've met now seems like such a repeat story is that apologetic nature around owning that title. So I'm so, so happy crazy. to hear you own it. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time for this today and encouraging all of us in this season and really looking forward to teaching my kids a little bit differently maybe now awesome So, thank you so much yeah thanks for having me it was fun well friends thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode for more information on this episode check out the show notes or find us on instagram at the papaya podcast and if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would please share it simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your instagram stories and don't forget to tag us Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.